0: Time now for the lowdown on the Lobos.
1: Come back to Team Talk 1017, the team. Joe O'Neill, Sam Hauser. We've got Dodger baseball at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN Radio 1017, the team. But joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning. Cool Take Hotline is the Lobo men's basketball beat writer for the Albuquerque Journal. He does a lot of other things over there as well. Um, but Jeff, we hadn't talked to you in a while. I know you know you uh, you know you had the story about uh, Josiah Alec in the paper um, and uh, told us a little bit about him. We're going to talk about him in a second, but we haven't had you on since uh, Morris. Udeze uh, signed uh, the uh, transfer from Wichita State, and you know when when these this transfer portal would come up at pressers with Coach Richard Patino, Jeff. He he kind of downplayed things. You know he said, "Hey, you know we're going to keep our eye out open." Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, uh, getting uh, Udeze first and then Alec, uh, it seems like they've really given uh, next year's team certainly a bunch of experience. We know about the physicality that both. Of them, bring, which they need, but you got two bona fide players. Talk about Udeze first.
2: Well, I, I will to to your first point about how how Patino kind of handled it and talking about it. Um, I, I I think that this new era of college basketball has fans maybe I don't want to say confused, but certainly still very much adjusting to what a recruiting calendar is anymore. And I, I think that when you see the team, you know, where I went to school in New Mexico, say, well, you see a team having to replace nine players, so they're signing five, six, seven guys really quick, and you see a team that only had, initially only had one scholarship open, then had two, um, like New Mexico, you're wondering, well, why is this team getting all these players, and why is this team not doing anything? And there's a little confusion about what's going on, and it just leads to worry and concern, when the reality is, you can still sign players all the way up until the end of August. So, in that context um there's still some four or five star guys that are that are going to be available in the recruiting cycle as transfers former four or five star guys obviously looking for new homes there there's a lot of movement still very much going on in the recruiting cycle so the fact that we're in mid-may and the lobos just got their two guys in about an eight-day span um probably you know Four or five months from now, nobody's going to remember that the Lobos were about a month behind maybe what fans wanted it to be. But the reality is there's, there's no reason to sign everybody in the month of April in this new recruiting cycle. There are guys that are just now going into the portal, and um, you have until May 1st is the new deadline for that. But when guys are coming back from their NBA decisions, which there's a June 1st deadline, there's going to be guys, 260 or 280 players this year declared for the nba draft right so only about 70 or 80 of those guys are probably going to stick in the nba draft and not all of them are going to get drafted but you're looking at about 200 guys that are about to come back to their schools well even if you just say half of those are guys that are coming back to schools that were waiting on that decision to either sign a guy or not or now that they have to push somebody out there's going to be a new guy into the transfer portal because they have to make room for the guy that's coming back there's still an awful lot of recruiting to go in the next month, so I do think that when he was downplaying it, he was actually doing a pretty good job of, of understanding this new calendar is going to keep recruiting going all the way until mid-summer, probably every year now. Now, as far as the two guys he got, yeah. starting with Morris, that was the guy. That that was that was their, their target, but they they looked at bigs and pretty much only bigs um in the in the transfer portal and they needed a starting five he will come in and start at five over sebastian forsling which is fine that's not a knock on forsling everybody understands the the situation this is a good thing for sebastian forsling his minutes may go down a little bit but that's okay like his role is actually far more beneficial to his development now that he can play and if he picks up a couple fouls he's not under pressure to to know whether or not to not even defend anymore or not, like he just you know sits on the bench a little bit when he's in foul trouble now, and there's there's not pressure in moving around a whole bunch of other players on the roster to play center. So I do think that this is going to actually help Sebastian Forsling be a potential starter next year. And I think the big thing that mobile fans should know about Morris Udesi is. He wasn't an all-conference guy, but he was sort of a fringe kind of all-conference guy. He, he did average ten points. He did. He's a good rebounder. He's a good defender, but he's also really physical. He's he's a strong guy. And I think I think Lobo fans, um, if you see these two guys that they signed get pushed around in the paint a whole lot next year, I'd be shocked. So I don't think you're going to see too much bullying in the uh, in the in the front court of the Lobos two new signees. That's for sure.
1: Well, yeah, and uh, this you know Udeze before he went to Wichita State, he had narrowed his choices to Butler, Ohio State, and he eventually chose Wichita State. Uh, since he was in the portal, everybody from UNLV to Virginia Tech to Maryland to Texas showed a a, a strong interest in him. So, uh, a bona fide player, but I I like the way you describe him, you know, in terms of just being rock solid. He started 27 of the 28 games, 10.6 rebounds a game. All right, uh, roll into Josiah uh, Alec, um, the kid that they got from the University of Missouri at Kansas City. Uh, This is a kid that averaged 15 a game as a sophomore, but I'm looking at his stats, he got significant playing time. So, you know, you talk about what direction Directions programs are going to go in to upgrade as quickly as possible. I mean, you got two guys that have played considerable minutes, considerable starts, and it's a lot easier to get better quickly by going that route, you know, than just about any other way, Jeff. Right, and Morris, the the, the center, the guy who will
2: probably be the starting center next year, he has one year left of eligibility. Josiah Alec, the guy they just got last night, the the commitment from. Um, he has two more years of eligibility remaining and he's a six foot eight. He's more of a four, more of a power forward. He can, he can stretch it. He doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but he can hit one a game. And, um, that's about what his average was last year. The reason anybody who's kind of looking at his numbers, the reason his numbers took a little bit of a downtick, um, this past season was, was he only played 16 games. He had ankle, reconstructive ankle surgery and, uh, missed a whole bunch of games. Um, he, he tells me, he told me last night he's, he's 100%, but that he had a bad back and he had surgery on an ankle injury that kind of started, he says, when he was in high school. So he'd been playing with it for a while he, he says he feels kind of better than ever than he has in a few years. So, He's this guy's kind of a gym rat, like not just gym basketball like weight room gym rat too anybody who maybe already hit a follow on his social media on his instagram page anyway he has he has pictures of himself in the gym and he's he's um he, you could he'd certainly pass for for a football player or he's um he's a big guy and He has, uh, for those who haven't seen him, just a great head of hair. He's going to be known around the league quickly just because of his hair. But I also think he's a a pretty good player. I do think the Lobos, again, didn't necessarily get an all-league guy, but got a fringe all-league guy that might be able to develop into an all-Mountain West kind of talent. And you're looking at two guys that might be your two starters in the front court next year. If Jay Allen Tovar does develop and is the starter, and Josiah um, Alec is your backup, that's a pretty good one-two punch at the power forward spot. Or the Lobos, or Josiah Alec is going to be your starter, because that's what he's done for a couple of years now. He's been a regular starter, and I would expect, actually, that he will be the starter. I think the Lobos really, really upgraded in their front court quite a bit, and I, I think that puts them in a pretty good spot in the league next year.
0: Jeff Grammer, Albuquerque Journal, with us on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Cool Take hotline, talking about Couple of the newest members of the Lobo men's basketball team, and, and yeah, Jeffy, we talk about Jay Allen Tovar well, when you guys were chatting about Morris Udeze, and you know certainly to allow Sebastian Forsling to narrow his focus a little bit more, continue that development, but. With Josiah coming in, outside of Richard Patino, I, I had to imagine coming in that right behind him on the list of uh, excitement would be J. Allen Tovar because, I mean, look, he, it was pretty clear by the end of the season he didn't want to be a four. It was just circumstantial. But, like you said, it really it, it's really going to allow these guys to get some of that uh, development that we were hoping for last season well, with these new guys coming in.
2: Yeah, there's a whole lot of sliding down the, the spots, sliding down the roster that's going to benefit some players. You're going to have now J. Allen Tovar, if he plays five this year, it's because he's the fourth option and, and three other options, which will be Morris Udesi, um Sebastian Forsling, and then Josiah Alec would play the five before J. Uh, Allen Tovar. So you're looking at J. Allen Tovar is now the fourth option at the center spot instead of the second option, which makes him really happy. Um, you're now looking at Javante Johnson not having to play too much four at all. He can slide back to a little more natural position at the three spot, and um, he should benefit from that, because while he did good and admirable and started a whole bunch of games at his best, when he was hitting shots on the outside, when he was going against teams that sort of allowed him to play a more of a three-wing kind of spot, as opposed to having to play that power-forward spot. Again, he did well at the four last year, but He's better at the three, and they should be better with some um, Javante Johnson at the three. So, what they addressed this year, um, this offseason, is the two spots they needed. They needed two front court guys, and they didn't just get two front court guys. They got a potential starting center and a potential starting power forward who can also play center. So, I think they, they kind of hit exactly what they wanted. We'll see how good these guys turn out. Right. But the history, especially recent history of the Mountain West, is transfers. Like they do really well if they've had previous Division One experience. Not just that these guys that never played anywhere but used to be a four- or five-star guy, they've actually done better in the Mountain West when it's a guy that maybe only had two or three stars out of high school but played for two or three years at a UMKC or maybe a Wichita State level.
0: Well, and along those lines, with Josiah Alec again coming in from UMKC's, the newest member of the Lobo men's basketball team, made that official over the weekend. In your story about him in the Journal, he had a quote about the about some of the powerhouses in the Mountain West. He mentioned Colorado State, San Diego State, UNLV, Boise State. I'm I'm curious what you made of that. You know, just as as the Mountain West kind of got pushed around a little bit in the postseason last year, just still having four teams in the NCAA tournament, if that really did catch uh, some of these guys' attention that were in the transfer portal.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it did. I, I think that the once you get into the transfer portal and you start hearing the pitches from all these teams, what the Mountain West coaches can fall back on, and, and fans, after last year, this past you know March's performance in the Mountain West, it's kind of hard to to say anything redeeming about the league when they kind of fell flat again and have for about a decade in the, in the postseason. Um, the redeeming kind of statistics that the Mountain West has is they've been putting players pretty consistently into the NBA recently. They've been putting players in the regular season anyway. Again, this isn't March. This isn't just the tournament I'm talking. But in the regular season, they've been pretty competitive with a lot of power conference schools, top to bottom. UNM certainly had its struggles. But the league overall has been able to put forward a resume that shows like it's not just that we're Kind of, I know some people like saying gaming the system, and that's what it was about ten years ago when when Steve Alford's last team got all the way up to number one in the RPI, and and people accused UNM of kind of playing with the numbers and, and gaming the system. Well, you can't really do that as well anymore with the new metrics and the way things are evaluated. The Mountain West had good numbers this year, and it's because they did beat some solid teams, maybe not great teams, but they beat a lot of really solid teams in the non-conference, and they are competitive. They go to the tournament, and they kind of fell flat, but. Yeah, there's there's some good talent now. A lot of players left this league too, so um there's there's some openings for some movement up and I do think they'll actually be pretty good again next year. The the league
0: overall. All right, Jeff, let's talk about the the realities of Division 1 basketball in the spring and summer of 2022 with these two guys coming in. Boise State had a situation a couple of weeks ago where they brought in uh, the player from Texas Tech, Ogbo, and he immediately has these these deals in place with a local real estate company owned by a Boise State alum. He's got Del Taco in this graphic that he puts on his social media of when he's coming to Boise State. Are you are you even hearing anything about anything even potential Lining up for these two new players coming to Richard Petino's squad? Oh yeah, they they
2: both have deals in place. Um, uh, if I had the details, I would certainly put them in an article already. But they both already know that they will be making money from the NIL collective that UNM has, um, kind of headed up primarily by Kurt Roth. But it's it's a it's a collection of money that uh, is, is going towards these players. UNM uh, down the road, New Mexico State has one that they've been um, already. Utilizing in their recruiting process this off season um it's it's happening everywhere at this point it's just because it's not getting out yet probably has more to do with the fact that some people are still uneasy with those details getting out but but i yeah I absolutely with a hundred percent certainty can verify that the, both of those guys will be getting some money from um UNM's collective and uh a good amount of money and and that's kind of where we're at with with college basketball. It makes some people uneasy. But at the end of the day, if you're uneasy that the players are, are getting a little bit of money, well, I, maybe college basketball is not going to be for you as, a, a, anymore because it is a billion-dollar industry that the guys actually playing the game are now just getting what will still amount to a very small percentage of.
1: Yeah, and uh, obviously the the question uh, begs to be answered um, is now you have uh, guys like, Jamal Mashburn Jr. Um, and Jalen House, uh, who yep. have stayed. Uh, and are you hearing there's uh, activity with them with regard to, to NIL as well? Because yep. uh, it, common sense would make you say, hey, these both these guys average, like, 15, 16, 17 points a game. And, uh, you know, these two new guys, you said it looks like they're going to have deals. You would imagine uh, the other two guys remaining, the, the two, arguably the two best players from last year, would have something in mind as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the next wave and the next kind of evolution of this NIL situation, while there are some ADs that were really pushing for new reforms and the NCAA to do something. frankly, the laws aren't going to allow the NCAA to do a whole lot. State by state made their laws, and the NCAA can't override those state laws. So I don't think much is going to happen in terms of enforcement. But the next evolution of this is I think people will see that they probably overvalued the transfer portal a little bit. So a lot of NIL money, probably more than the value of the player, whatever we determine the value to be, you know, maybe after this season. I think some of that will be corrected. There'll be some market correction on a transfer who who maybe wasn't an all-league guy. Maybe these guys the Lobos got, who were fringe all-league guys, got paid, you know, whatever we then determine the value of maybe an all-league kind of performer is. So then maybe there's some correction there. But the next evolution that I was saying I think will be the returning players. Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen House both come from NBA families. I don't think money is the biggest factor in their minds, but that's not always the case. Had those two guys not had NBA fathers, and had those two guys maybe wanted a little more money, and they're both coming off all-league seasons, 13 Mountain West, you, you can't tell me that the new guy who wasn't all-league in his other conference, that you're going to give him this much money, and like if I stay here, I'm not getting any of it, well, why don't I jump in the transfer portal and, and go see what I can get at another league? So I do see some correction in the value that was given to some of the transfer players this year, and I do see some correction in what you give your guys to stay as opposed to lure new recruits in the next recruiting cycle. So that'll be interesting to see this offseason. But I do I can tell you that Jalen House and Jamal Maspern Jr. towards the end of last year were already kind of dipping into the NIL pool. They were promoting a, a couple of local charities that were going on that had to do with the NIL collective and the early kind of stages and, and putting some money together for them to promote that kind of stuff on social media.
1: You know, uh, Jeff, just to, your opinion. We have a, a guy named Daniel Lusk. He's an attorney uh, that's a guest with us on a regular basis, and he you yep. know, obviously he's following the story. Uh, he explained, he, in his opinion, was um, when all this came down about 10 months ago, uh, that the um, Basically, athletic directors coast to coast really kind of just uh, were were nowhere to be seen or heard, and uh, now in the last like two weeks, uh, things have changed. Um, would you uh, agree with that description of the of the way things have have really kind of changed in the last two weeks, as opposed to the previous ten months?
2: Yeah, and I would even go back beyond the ten months. I think the reason we got to where we were ten months ago was because the NCAA at large had its chances. At every turn, it kind of kept pushing back, pushing back on trying to compensate the players. And had you done this incrementally over the past, say, 10 years or even five years, as opposed to having a whole bunch of politicians last year just say, look, you've had your chance, now we're just going to start passing laws." Had they done it incrementally, you might not be in this kind of all at once rip the band aid kind of moment that we're having this year, where people just can't you know grasp what's going on. They're going from zero to sixty in like one second here, where where players weren't getting paid a year ago, and now they're getting paid you know six figure salaries and stuff like that to just put out a couple tweets. So I do think that just as recently as one year ago, the NCAA athletic directors in general um, weren't really giving the guidance that maybe they should have. Because they didn't know what to do. I, I I don't think, you know, they had time, but I, I would agree they weren't really active in this just 10 months ago. And now we are where we are, and the ADs that are now kind of speaking up and saying we got to do something about it, I, I, I don't know that there's much to do about it at this point. Once you let a whole bunch of politicians pass state laws, you don't just reverse a whole bunch of state laws because you realize, oh, man, we should have done something two years ago.
1: All right, well— um There's going to be a lot uh, to follow, no doubt about it, in the coming weeks and months. Like you said, uh, you know, this could go on through August, as you mentioned. Uh, So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep reading what you got in the Albuquerque Journal. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. That's Jeff Grammer from the Albuquerque Journal joining us here on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Cool Take Hotline. All right, when we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit about that Eastern Conference Uh, matchup between the Celtics and the Heat that will start tomorrow and then the Mavs at Golden State on Wednesday so we'll get into the Celtics Heat when we come back next you're listening to Team Talk Joe O'Neill Sam Hauser ESPN Radio 101.7 the team